0: Well, good evening. Uh, Once again, welcome back to uh, Centerpoint and uh, our series uh, this fall uh, covering uh, the person of Jesus, uh, two natures, a divine nature, human nature, and one person. And tonight, uh, we are going to go down uh, a road of history Uh, I want us to look at one of the great creeds, uh, the Chalcedonian Creed of uh, 451, uh, AD 451. Uh, We are going to be introduced to a couple of uh, new uh, concepts. Uh, We've already uh, looked at some heresies uh, that were associated with uh, the person of, uh, of Jesus and uh, tonight, in particular, uh, two two particular heresies come uh, in the crosshairs. Uh, one is Nestorianism, and the other is Eutychianism. And we'll we'll define and expand on these in, in a moment. But we do need to uh, we need to go back into the fifth century uh, and uh, examine uh, what was going on. Uh, you, you might think actually you don't need to think a great deal before this becomes fairly obvious, uh, that these uh, theological discussions and debates and the formation of uh, creeds, statements of uh, doctrine with regard to the person of Jesus, you might think that these uh, would, be, would be formed, as it were, in uh, the, the highbrow setting of a theological seminary or something of that nature, and actually it wasn't like that at all. Uh, it was mixed up with uh, politics, uh, and uh, many, uh, just like uh, just like the Reformation in Geneva, uh, when, uh, when the city of Geneva declared itself to be Protestant in uh, 1529, uh, it wasn't because suddenly the The politicians in Geneva had adopted Protestantism, the the truths of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. It it was just they didn't want to pay dues to to Rome. Uh, And it was uh, was a lot cheaper being a Protestant than being a Roman Catholic in 1529. So the city was declared to be Protestant. Uh, Your average a citizen in Geneva really had very little idea of what being Protestant in the theological sense meant. Uh, And when Calvin uh, was called to be their pastor uh, initially in 1536 and uh, and then was summarily kicked out of Geneva two and a half years later uh, because they began to understand what Protestantism actually meant and they didn't like it. Uh, so they kicked him out and then changed their mind. Well, let's get back to the, to the 5th century and to, to AD uh, 451. And what we have to try and imagine, and it's a little difficult to, to imagine, but we have to try and imagine uh, trying to get uh, 520 bishops. Uh, and these are bishops with uh, personality. Uh, these are bishops with agendas, and many of them... Uh, considerable agendas uh, by one city vying with another city um, Antioch, Alexandria uh, Constantinople uh, and, and so on uh, imagine trying to get 520 bishops together uh, and to come to a unanimous agreement uh, as to a statement of doctrine with regard to the person of Jesus well that's what happened uh, at Chalcedon and Uh, We can only put this down to an act of the providence of God. Uh, Everything about it was fairly unlikely, uh, but what emerged uh, was a statement that we still adhere to to this very day. Uh, It was a clear statement uh, with regard to how we think of Jesus uh, being divine and human, fully divine and fully human, and, and yet there is only one he, there is only one him. So two natures in one person. This, this was the formula uh, that emerged at Chalcedon. And the way in which it emerged uh, is one of the great stories uh, of the Christian church. It's a very unlikely story, um, but it's a story, I think, that reflects something of the remarkable providence uh, of God. Now, the crucial Phrase and I've already used it a couple of times, two natures in one person, two natures in one person, Uh, the one person, two nature doctrine of Christ, if I can put it that way. That formula, two natures in one person, was actually a formula that emerged in a letter uh, written by Leo, Leo the Great, uh, in what has come to be known as his tome. Now, when we think of the word tome, Uh, We usually use it as a descriptive of something that's very big. Uh, Actually, this letter was only six or seven pages long, um, but it was so important, and history has recorded it as so hugely important uh, that it has become known as Leo's Tome. And it's a a phrase, actually, it's a paragraph or two uh, in this letter that became uh, so very important in the understanding. Uh, of how we think of the relationship of the two natures, the divine and human natures of Jesus. Well, there's a a, quite an astonishing picture. Uh, It's a stained glass window and it's probably an interpretation more than anything else uh, of Leo the Great. I thought I might uh, give you a little glimpse of what he might have looked like, though it's unlikely that he actually did look like that. there's a, there's a few backstories that might be of some interest as we try and put this picture together. Um, uh, Leo, uh, Leo the Great uh, the, the, uh, the um, encounter that he had with Attila the Hun and most of you remember at least the name uh, of Attila the Hun and Attila was on a rampage uh, throughout uh, Europe, was, uh, was, was threatening uh, all kinds of places and uh, uh, one uh, particular occasion, uh, Attila the Hun and his troops are in, uh, uh, encamped uh, outside the city and uh, Leo uh, apparently is sent uh, to speak to him and uh, we have no idea what Leo said to him. Um, but the next day he and his troops were gone. Uh, so Leo uh, was uh, a man uh, of, uh, of considerable um, Clout and considerable eloquence, I think. Uh, he, he knew how to play the role of a politician, uh, and perhaps he was equally as much of a politician as he was um, a theologian. Now, the issue that uh, arises, and, and, and we need to tell a little bit of the story here, uh, the issue that arises that, that, that is the reason why uh, the uh, Council of Chalcedon met uh, and Chalcedon um, is a little place uh, outside of Constantinople. Uh, it's on the edge of the Black Sea, so it's a, Im- imagine it's a lake resort with 400 and, uh, 520 bishops. Uh, so you can imagine uh, who would not want to go for a month uh, in, I think it was October uh, of, uh, of uh, 451, uh, to the Black Sea, spend time at somebody else's expense um, to talk about theology. And uh, that's, that's basically what happened. And what brought this about were, was uh, the writings and perhaps more importantly the attributed sayings uh, of a man by the name of Nestorius uh, and his dates are 381 to 451. Uh, Arianism, we've already looked at Arianism, Arianism, Arius, his battle with Athanasius, Arius believed that Jesus was like God but wasn't quite God and Arianism uh, by this time was already uh, declining. Uh, Apollinarianism, we've already looked at Apollinarianism, Apollinarius believed that uh, Jesus uh, didn't have a a human mind, that in the place of the human mind of Jesus was the divine Logos. Uh, So Jesus wasn't fully human. Um, His his, his mind uh, was a a divine mind inhabiting a human body. That's fairly crass, but but, uh, that basically was Apollinarianism. And that... Two uh, had been uh, condemned in the previous century, in in the 4th century. Uh, And and now, uh, in the 5th century, an issue arises, and it arises, and we'll come back to this uh, before the end of our our talk this evening. Uh, The issue that arises is the word Theotokos. Now you you dear folk are not frightened of big words uh, and so forgive me for throwing out these big words but but Theodokos is a word that occurs in the uh, Chalcedonian Creed in the Greek text of the Chalcedonian Creed and is usually uh, translated though though inaccurately translated as mother of God. Uh, uh, Mary gave birth to one who is God so in one sense and remember we did talk about this uh, at a previous occasion that if Mary gives birth to somebody who is God she is at least theoretically the mother of one who is God but of course we who are Protestants uh, are very uneasy about referring to Mary as the mother of God because in the mind of the of the populace uh, the the attribution of uh, the title "Mother of God" to Mary uh, makes them think of Ave Maria, and, and, that, and that she is some kind of mediatrix, uh, and so on. Uh, but it was over the use of this word, um, Theotokos, and in the popular mindset, this man uh, Nestorius uh, was viewed as as denying uh, as denying this attribution of, uh, of Theotokos. Um, and, and Nestorius so emphasizes the humanity of Jesus, the real humanity of Jesus, that it looks as though Nestorius is saying that Jesus is a, is a human person in his own right. He's a divine person, but he's also a human person. So it looked as though Nestorius was suggesting that Jesus is, is somehow Two persons. Um, the psychology of that is probably fascinating. Uh, what, that, what that might mean uh, in terms of having two, two, uh, two distinct capacities that we would that we would think of him as two individual persons. There is the person who is the divine person, and there is the person who is the the human person. Now. Whether Nestorius actually believed that is probably doubtful. Uh, Nestorius is one of these people that we don't really know anything about except what his enemies said about him. We we don't have any of his writings, we we don't have any of his letters, all we have are quotations that his enemies attributed to Nestorius and you and I both know that if you want to paint your enemy in, in the worst possible light you you take a a sentence out of context or you twist the meaning of something. And and I think Nestorius is one of these tragic figures of history that we'll probably never know what he actually believed. History, my own own view uh, is that I think history was very unkind to Nestorius. Um, I I think his, his enemies, for political reasons, I think Nestorianism is a heresy, but whether Nestorius was a Nestorian, you following, is probably doubtful. And I think history has not been kind to um, Nestorius. Now, very quickly, there were two schools of thought uh, uh, resident in two fairly prominent cities. and, And this means not just two schools of theology, but two centers of political influence uh, who, which city has the most influence uh, on the church, and there was the so called school of Antioch uh, that laid uh, a lot of stress on the on the divinity the divine nature of jesus and um, uh, and, and it is in that school of thought uh, that Nestorius probably resides, and then there 's another school of thought the so called Uh, Alexandrian, uh, the the city on the north coast of Africa. Uh, Alexandria was was an enormous influence uh, for Christianity in the first five centuries. Uh, And uh, and there was the uh, Alexandrian school that laid an enormous amount of stress on uh, the humanity of Christ. Uh, the, the, The opponent to Nestorius is a man by the name of Cyril. Uh, Cyril of Alexandria he was the bishop of Alexandria and uh, and Nestorius of course is the bishop of Constantinople and that's why the the council would meet not in Constantinople but in the in the lake resort a few miles from Constantinople in in Chalcedon. Uh, So the chief opponent of Nestorius is a man by the name of Cyril Cyril of Alexandria the bishop of uh, Alexandria and what Cyril emphasized was that Jesus, when you think about Jesus, whether you think about him in terms of his divine nature, or whether you think of him in terms of his incarnate human nature, there is only one he, there is only one him. And that was, that was a very important concept. It still to this very day remains a very important concept. If there's one thing, you, you might forget all of this history before you're out of the door, uh, this evening. But if there's one thing that will help you, I think, when you think about Jesus, there's only one He. I, th- I think that that concept, that idea, is, a, is a, just a very, very important idea. And it's a very important truth, I think, about Jesus. There is only one Him. He, he has two natures, but there's only one Him. And, and we attribute that largely to Cyril of Alexandria. Now, in making that point, he painted... Nestorius, his counterpart, the bishop of Constantinople, he painted Nestorius in the worst possible light. And so there's this enormous tension that's developing between two cities, uh, the city of Alexandria in North Africa and the city of Constantinople, and Cyril and Nestorius. So that was one reason why Chalcedon met. It was to deal with this issue of Nestorianism. The second reason why Chalcedon met was an, another person altogether by the name of Eutychus, and Eutychus' his dates uh, are almost parallel, almost parallel to that of Nestorius, uh, 378 to 454. Now, here's a word that you can use in an email tomorrow. Um, Eutyches was an archimandrite. Now, an Archimandrite is an office in Greek Orthodoxy. You know, we we talk about uh, bishops and so on. Well, an Archimandrite is is a a little below a a bishop. He was the superior abbot uh, in Greek Orthodoxy. In other words, he ran uh, the monastery... Um, and he wasn't quite a bishop, but he was—he was the next one down in the pecking order in Eastern Orthodoxy. Right? The, this is this is the Eastern, uh, this is the Eastern side of the church. When you think of Constantinople, you think of the of the Eastern Church. When you think of Alexandria, you think of the Western Church, more or less. Um, but this is the Eastern uh, Church, and uh, Eutychus was a was an Archimandrite. I'm, I'm not sure what context you'd ever use that word in a sentence, but it's just a. It's one of those words I, I, like, I like the sound of, an Archimandrite. Oh yeah, he's an Archimandrite. Um, uh, he's not quite a bishop, but he's, 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 he's one down in the pecking order. And what Eutychus said was this, that Christ is not... Divine or human he is a third thing uh, what in Latin uh, we would call a tertium quid a third thing and if you want to be, if you want to be uh, sort of crass about it think of two chemicals and my chemistry has gone out of my mind now as I'm thinking of this but perhaps Dr. Belding will help me here yeah, two chemicals and, you, and, and when you pour the two into a thing you've got a third thing so you give me an example. I'm putting you right on the spot. You need two chemicals. If, you, if you right? <laughs> 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 right. <laughs> right. But I'm, I'm just. I'm thinking of just a, a little science ex- experiment in, in fifth grade where you pour two liquids. Uh, into a glass and what you've got is a third thing, right? They've chemically reacted and it's neither one nor the other now It's something else F- Forget it <laughs> um, it'll, it'll, You know when you're driving home tonight, you'll say you know that's what I should have said You know sulfuric acid and something and it and it forms a third thing. Well, th- that's what Utica said about Jesus There's a divine nature. There's a human nature, but when they come together it's neither human nor divine. It's a third thing. It's a, it's a Tertium Quid, and and uh, it's uh, it's uh, well, Steve Nichols, uh, my friend Steve Nichols puts it, puts it this way. This is a theological way of saying yellow and blue makes green. Right? You got that? That yellow and blue makes green. Now, uh, there's, a, there's another person, not really important for tonight, but another person, uh, Flavian, uh, who is the Bishop of Constantinople in this debate uh, and convenes uh, a synod. It met in 448. That's just uh, three years before the Council of, uh, of Chalcedon. Uh, and, and now you enter into the messy world of, of politics. Um, Eutychus had close... Ties with the imperial house uh, in the east, which at that time was the emperor was Theodosius II, and because he had close ties politically with the imperial house, uh, Eutychus was exonerated. His view was declared to be orthodox. Um, Then Theodosius died. Someone else comes uh, into. Uh, that that uh, that um, that council uh, was was called later called the robber council. Uh, and uh, Theodosius died. He's replaced by another uh, emperor by the name of Marcion who who, who convenes uh, a, another council, the Council of Chalcedon. So you've got Nestorianism and you've got Eutychianism. Nestorianism in which at least at least according to his enemies the humanity of jesus and the divinity of jesus are so emphasized that what you've got are two different persons and with eutychus you've got almost the opposite that you've neither got you've neither got a divine nature nor a human nature but you've got a third thing a composite a composite nature so you've got two very different views about the way you think about the relationship of the divine and human nature, Nestorianism and Eutychianism, and the Council of Chalcedon is convened, and it's convened uh, on the shores of the Black Sea uh, in October of 451, and who would not want to go uh, and spend a month uh, on the edge of the Black Sea in uh, October? So 520 uh, bishops uh, meet... Uh, together and they met for five sessions. Uh, in the first session, what they did was overturn uh, overturn the exoneration of uh, Utricanism that had been uh, that had been agreed upon just uh, three or four years uh, earlier. So, so they overturned that. The 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 robber council uh, was declared to be null and void. Um, and uh, the second session. Uh, two quite distinct groups emerged in the council. One, and, and I'm I'm calling it the "Let's simply go back to the Nicene Creed," right? The Nicene Creed of uh, 325, or the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed of 385. Look, we've we've had enough of all this theology, enough already. Let's just go back to Nicaea and have done with it, and let's spend a few weeks on the shores of the Black Sea, right? There was that group uh, at Chalcedon. And then there was another group that said, it's time to scotch this issue once and for all. Now, which side are you on? Because you're probably on one side or the other, you, you know, half of you are saying, enough already. I, I mean, all this talk about, about Christology, all this talk about the two natures and how they relate, enough already. Let's just have the Bible. Or, or let's just have Nicaea. We've, we've done enough of this already. And then there were others who said, no, Nestorianism and Eutychianism are so wrong in the direction in which they are going. We, we, need, we need to scotch this. this. This is wrong. And we need to say so. And of course, they are the ones who won out. In the fourth session, um, this, this letter that Leo had written, it, it had been scotched when they exonerated uh, Eutychianism. Uh, Leo had sent representatives who were going to read his letter. They weren't allowed to speak and so on. So his letter never got read. Uh, but now it is, uh, it is brought forth without detriment, therefore, to the properties of either substance or, or either nature divine or human nature, which then came together in one person, two natures in one person. Majesty took on humility, strength, weakness, eternity, mortality, and for the paying off of the debt belonging to our condition, inviolable nature was united with possible nature, and true God and true man were combined to form one Lord, so that as suited the needs of our case, one and the same mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, could both die with the one and rise again with the other. And uh, and that that, uh, statement, that that sentence, it was probably more than one sentence, in uh, the letter of Leo's uh, tome became became, uh, the the sort of uh, focal point. It became the the, 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 the point at which these 520 bishops became united over this expression, two natures or, or, or two substances, two natures in one uh, person. And so on October the 22nd, 520, you should put that down in your calendar. We should celebrate uh, October, not just October 31 as Reformation Day, but October 22nd, the week before, as Chalcedon Day. Uh, as Leo the Great's Tome Day, uh, the two natures in one person uh, day. So uh, the, the controversies, or do you say controversies, at uh, Chalcedon, I've forgotten which is American, which is British now, uh, but w- whatever it is, what do you say? Controversies. controversies. The controversies, the, the emphasis is on the first syllable. The, the controversies of Chalcedon Uh, A little bit of Apollinarianism came up again. But the controversies at Chalcedon were Nestorianism and Eutychianism. So here's here's pop quiz. What is Nestorianism? I've been speaking now for half an hour. What is Nestorianism? Nestorianism, briefly, is two natures and two persons. Jesus has two natures and he has two persons. Or he is two persons. What is Eutychianism? Eutychianism is that Christ is neither divine nor human, but something new. It is, in fact, one person, one nature. Instead of two natures, you've got one nature, one composite nature. One is a, devi- a denial One is a denial of the one person of Jesus, and one is a denial of the two natures of Jesus. Right? So, Nestorianism denies that Jesus is one person. Eutychianism denies that Jesus is two natures. That's why the formula, two natures, one person, becomes the most important formula uh, of Chalcedon. Now, what are the key concepts then of? Chalcedonian Christology. Well, let me, let me enumerate them along. Uh, f- four statements. N- number one, that in Christ there are two natures. There is a divine nature that is fully divine. And there is a human nature that is fully human. Two, each nature retains its own specific properties. All the attributes of the divine nature belong to the divine nature of Christ. All human attributes, true human attributes, belong to the human nature of Jesus. Three, the two natures do not constitute two persons, but one. That's a statement against Nestorianism. That's a statement against Nestorianism. And number four, the union between the two natures is personal. One person. And that's a statement against Eutychianism. Now, um, in addition to all of that, the Chalcedonian Creed... Uh, also defined um, the use of this word um, theotokos. Uh, And we'll have a look at it in a moment. Theotokos. And and if you think of theotokos not as mother of God, I think that's unhelpful. I think that raises Mary to a position that makes us very uneasy. I, I think that it is true to say that Mary is the bearer of one who is God and God-bearer, rather than Mother of God, uh, it it puts it puts less emphasis on Mary and more emphasis on 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 Jesus. I think God-bearer rather than Mother of uh, God. Now, a second thing that Chalcedon uh, emphasized was what's called the the hypostatic union. Now, we, we can't go into this too much here, but in the 5th century, theology was being done in two different languages. But in the East, it's being done in Greek, and in the West, it's being done in, in, in Latin. We use the word person, but that's, that's a Latin, that's, that's the triumph of the Latin idea over the over the Greek idea and we are part of the western church rather than of the eastern church Um, hypostasis or hypostasis is is a Greek term not a Latin term but just for for now and and this isn't strictly true and there are a couple of people in this room uh, who who can quibble with me after about it Um, but just, just for now Hypostasis and person are equivalents. They're synonyms. It's just that one is Latin and one is Greek. Now that's not absolutely true, but, but it's true enough that I can get away with it for a minute. Um, Jesus has two natures and one person, or two natures, and the union of those natures is a hypostatic union. It's a union in one person, there's only one he. It's not a union by amalgam. It's not a union by coming together and changing and morphing, nor is it a separation. There is a union of these two natures and that union is a personal union. It's a hypostatic union. Now that, uh, that idea of hypostatic union is, in my opinion, Altogether unique, right? there is no analogy I think there 's no illustration that really fits the bill. A lot of attempts are made to illustrate how it is that the two natures one person can be illustrated. Um, some have tried to illustrate it uh, by referring to the three persons in the godhead, but but that breaks down because the Trinity. Is three persons, and, and here we're talking about two natures and one person. The, the, the analogy just doesn't work. And others have used uh, the analogy of uh, the, the way the soul and body relate uh, in, in a human in a human being. And again, and again, I think that breaks down. The soul and body are not two distinct natures, but actually they're two aspects of one nature, the, a human nature. We're going to close that door. Um, two natures, and they come together in one person. There's only one he. Now here's, here's perhaps the most important part of Chalcedon. How do we think about the way in which the two natures, the divine and human nature... How do we think of the way in which they commune, the way in which they have fellowship, or perhaps better, how is the unity of those two natures conceived? Now, we've been saying uh, several times in the course of the last few weeks that in the incarnation, the human nature of Jesus does not plug into the divine nature and, and receive and receive bits or parts of the divine nature sort of transmuted to his human nature. We've been thinking of it in terms of his knowledge, for example. That in the human nature of Jesus, Jesus has a human mind. And that human mind is a limited mind. He, he, that mind... Uh, would not be cognizant, say, of the formula for benzene uh, or who the prime minister of, uh, of Britain was in 1943 or, or, or information of that kind. That was not information that the human mind of Jesus would have possessed. Now, we tend, right, and, and, and we do tend to be Apollinarian in the church, in the, in the church of 2013, because we tend to say and we tend to think that every now and then as we read the gospels the divine mind of jesus is informing the human mind of jesus and i've been saying to you know that the uniqueness of jesus does not lie in the fact that his divine mind is imparting information to his human mind but that he is upheld and gifted and, 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 and supported at every step by the Holy Spirit. And, and we should think of the incarnation of Jesus in the same way that we think of an Old Testament prophet. The fact that Jesus could commit, that, that Jesus could perform miracles is not in and of itself proof that he is divine any more than it was for Moses or Elijah, both of whom could perform miracles. It, it means that he was gifted by the Holy Spirit. I am not... Denying that he was divine, he was fully and absolutely divine. But how does the divine and hum- how do the divine and human natures of Jesus find their unity? And they find their unity in the one Person, the one He. So you can say things like, "He knows everything, and He's limited in knowledge." He is everywhere present, and he is confined to one zip code at any one time. Right? Because he is a he is a divine nature and he is a human nature, and and your mind is your mind is uh, reaching for an analogy that you probably can't find because this is this is altogether unique. There there is no one like Jesus. I say it again. There is no one like Jesus. One person and two natures. So, um, the Chalcedonian Creed gave expression to what's called the communicato idiomatum. That's a Latin expression. The communion of Properties. How do the properties of the divine nature and the properties of the human nature find communion? And they find communion in the one person, the one He. Um, Turn to the creed itself, and and it's it's the bit with the two columns. Um, and I thought it would be fun for you to see the original in Greek, but uh, just, just follow the one on the right hand side in English. Um, this, this, this is the Chalcedonian Creed of 451, and let, let's, uh, let's look at it together. You know, and, and, and we tend to be rather postmodern about creeds, just as we are fairly postmodern about history. Whereas for the reformers, right, for, for the likes of Luther and Calvin, or for the likes of um, the Westminster divines, um, these creeds were definitive. Now, only the Bible is inerrant. But there's a sense in which, you know, when you get into a car, you, 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 don't, need, you don't need every time you get into a car... To, to read a physics manual to assure yourself that when you get into this car, it's actually going to work and it's not going to kill you just by getting into it and driving it. Now you can do crazy things and people can do crazy things. That's not my point. But, but, but after a while, you don't, you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time you get into a car. And, and creeds are like that. Creeds are statements of truth that have been hammered out that us say, this is the best way to put together all that the Bible says about Jesus. So let's look at it. We then, following the Holy Fathers... Now, this is the 5th century, so there have been a lot of Holy Fathers since, since, uh, since 451, you understand. We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, and they were unanimous... Imagine, 520 bishops, unanimous. With one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. The same, perfect in Godhead, divine nature. And also perfect in manhood, human nature. Truly God and truly man. Of a reasonable Read rational soul, or or if you like, mind, right? That's a statement against Apollinarianism, because Apollinarists believed that the Logos inherited the human mind of Jesus. Jesus had a human mind, he had a reasonable soul. That expression, by the way, is in the Westminster Confession. They just lift it straight out of the Chalcedonian um, Confession. Right? Truly man of a reasonable soul and body, consubstantial, co essential with the Father. Right? His divine nature isn't any different from the divine nature of the Father. Who are they getting at? The Arians. The Arians who had said that Jesus was divine, but he wasn't quite as divine as the Father. He was was like God, but he wasn't God. So Chalcedon reaffirms consubstantial, co-essential with the Father according to the Godhead, and consubstantial with us according to the manhood. So he doesn't have a different kind of humanity. Than ours now he's without sin, but he has a he has humanity like we have humanity body soul mind psyche affections and so on in all things like unto us without sin begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead and in these latter days for us and for our salvation born of the virgin Mary if you if you pop over to the left-hand side to the Greek, that's underlined. Do you see it? Theotokou, Theotokos. There's that. There's that word that brought about the Chalcedonian uh, uh, Council. The council, of council was brought because of issues about what does Theotokos actually mean, and uh, rendered here the Mother of God. Actually, I, I prefer to render it as God-Bearer. According to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged. And here it comes. This this is the heart of the Chalcedonian Creed. To be acknowledged in two natures. Not as Eutychus suggested, one amalgam nature. But two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably. Of course, those are all negatives. Two distinct natures. The distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, Nestorianism, but one and the same son, the only begotten, God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself has taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us. It does calcidum. 451, very, very important statement, uh, still regarded as uh, Orthodox Christology to this uh, very day, taking a statement out of a letter. Uh, that uh, Leo the Great uh, in his tome uh, had written, two natures, one person. There's only one he. Two distinct natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, and inseparably. Now, uh, maybe maybe you're you're sympathetic with the uh, enough already. Uh, let, let's just stick with Nicaea, where we're, we've, we've had enough of this. Or, or, or maybe, maybe you see uh, what an extraordinary providence this was. In one month, right, 520 bishops uh, in a beautiful uh, location on the edge of the Black Sea uh, in October, in fall, uh, met together, uh, f- food and lodging provided Uh, a month away from from work and labor, uh, and they came together and unanimously agreed on a statement that is still regarded uh, today as uh, orthodox Christology, uh, the two natures, one person uh, understanding of uh, of Christ. Um, I just think that's an extraordinary providence. Uh, it's 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 a wonderful example, I think, of God uh, in the midst of some fairly fairly ugly politics, uh, cities vying with each other, bishops vying with each other as to who's the grand poobah among all the bishops and so on, uh, and uh, coming together and actually agreeing, maybe, maybe despite themselves, uh, by the overruling of God's spirit, agreeing to a statement that still today is regarded as uh, an orthodox statement with regard to how we should understand the way in which the two natures of Jesus uh, relate in one person the one thing, if you forget everything that I've said which is very likely but if you forget everything that I said, the one thing I want you to remember as you you think about Jesus is there is only one he there is only one he and he has a divine and a human nature. Well, let's pray together. Father, we we thank you. We stand amazed in the presence of uh, Jesus the Nazarene. There is no one like him and there never will be anyone like him. We thank you for this extraordinary providence uh, in 451. A.D. in October, when uh, 520 bishops came together and unanimously agreed on a statement uh, as to how we should think about uh, our Lord Jesus. And uh, though there are aspects of this that uh, are confusing and and perhaps beyond our ability to fully grasp and understand, uh, we, we we thank you because we realize that unless he is truly God and truly man, that he cannot be our Savior. That we need one who is both God for man and man for God in order to save us. So grant us your blessing as we uh, think and perhaps meditate on these things uh, in the course of this coming week. Uh, And all of this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.